Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. We all hope you had a wonderful Christmas, but it's time to dive right back into some Everton chat. It's fair to say the last few days have been pretty eventful, to say the least. I'm your host, Adam Jones, today joined by a dream team of Dave Prentice, Sam Carroll and Connor O'Neill to discuss COVID-19, fixture postponements and to look at a win over Sheffield United, of course. But Dave, we'll start with the big news as things stand. Uh, four hours before kickoff yesterday, yeah. Evans' game against Manchester City was postponed thanks to a COVID outbreak within within the away side squad. Uh, it came as a bit of a shock, didn't it? I think that's an understatement. Um, I mean, Everton very, very carefully tempered their language in their statements and described it as a regretful, I think it was. Uh, I think it's far worse than that. I think it's quite disgraceful, to be perfectly honest. Um, I'm going to caveat that with the fact that it probably was a good thing for us in the event. When you look at the uh, the squad of players that we had available, you look at the fact that it would have been our fourth game in nine days. It was only 48 hours after another really tough game at Sheffield United. In the circumstances, yes, it probably you know sort of did us a favour. But we were ready and raring to go. Carlo Ancelotti had a team ready to go out. And Premier League teams have been told way back in September that matches would not be postponed uh, because of outbreaks of COVID-19, provided that the uh, the teams concerned had at least 14 available footballers. Now, are the Premier League going to tell us that Manchester City, with all their riches and all their resources, don't have 14 available players? No, I'm sorry. I just don't think Manchester City fancied this game. I think they just... They've had a lot of games in a short period of time as well. They have already had two high-profile players out with the effects of COVID-19, Kyle Walker and Gabriel Jesus. And we don't know who else is involved, which is why Emerson have demanded full disclosure of all the conversations that were taking place. But what really sticks in the craw is that Emerson weren't involved in these negotiations or these discussions. Emerson were told four hours before kickoff, uh, you know, so Man City have made a request. We've agreed to it. You're not going to be playing your game. That's wrong. Uh, so... Whilst accepting that it probably was in Emerson's favour, I, I still think that it was wrong the way in which it came about. And I'm left with a, I don't know, an, an unsettled feeling about the whole situation. Uh, something doesn't feel quite right about it at all. Mm. I think Conor Preno is not the only one, the only one who feels you know, a little bit unsettled by the whole situation. I think looking at social media last night, uh, most of the messages that I was seeing were saying, yeah, you know, if there is a COVID outbreak, then... Everton fans completely agree with the decision itself to uh, postpone the game because obviously health and safety is paramount at this point. But as Everton's statement kind of suggests, it's a lack of transparency that seems to be uh, not sitting right with a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah, it seems very you know cloak and dagger, doesn't it? Very, it's been underhand tactics in the way it's been done for for it to kind of just come about that it was postponed at four o'clock and there was seemingly discussions being taken place well before that four o'clock 
deadline yesterday. And there was one report last night which said that says he actually requested postponements in the morning and it was declined. And then it was eventually it was eventually postponed to four o'clock. Now, if that's the case, then Everton should have been well away to where if, if City have gone to the Premier League and, uh, on Monday morning and said we, we, we don't think we can play this game tonight, Everton should have been made away then, not not four hours before kickoff. Basically, told that there's no game, and I think that's that's what leaves the sour taste in everyone's mouth because I, I don't think like 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 you say there, Adam. I don't think anyone's got an issue with the health and safety and the well-being. I mean, let's face it, you no know, people's lives are far more important than any football match taking place at any time, anywhere. But it's the way it's being done, and it's the kind of underhand tactics that have seemingly took place um, for the postponement to be made. And while Everton probably will benefit, they have every right to be agreed because you know there's a strong possibility that yesterday was probably the last chance some fans might get inside Goodison for a, a number of weeks. You know, with the tier review coming on, on Wednesday, there's you know if, if Liverpool's moved up to one tier, then that that's the end of fans being a game. So, you know, the, the club probably got every right to feel aggrieved and. You know, there, there does need to be some disclosure because, like I said, the rules around the Premier League COVID postponements they seem mixed. You, you see the Newcastle Aston Villa game that got called off four days before it was eventually it was due to take place. This one four hours, something somewhere just doesn't add up, and you know, once again, it's mixed messages from the Premier League and it leaves everyone in, in limbo. Mm. I think Connor raises a good point there, Sam. You know, this is the second Premier League game that's been caught, uh, postponed due to COVID reasons. Obviously, Newcastle versus Aston Villa at the start of this month was the first one and they kind of set their precedent there but in that situation it seemed as if there was a lot more communication between all three parties as in like both clubs and the Premier League whereas it seems in this situation Everton have seemed distinctly out of the loop. Yeah, I think with no Gav Buckland I'm, I'm going to be the Gav Buckland. <laughs> I'm going to be the dissenting voice on, on all this in that it doesn't really um, bother me too much in, in, in that you know, the, the Premier League had a decision to make and, and that was the one we made. And I think that, you know, if we if we put the, sh- the shoe on the other foot, if, if Ancelotti and, you know, the, the powers to be at Everton were asking the Premier League four hours before kick-off, I, you know, we think it's best this game doesn't go ahead in these kind of unusual times. If, if that's what they believe, you know, as fans, we'd obviously agree with them and we'd want the game off as well. The fact that it was on the other foot works for us this time. You know, I might not be saying this if we would have had James and Alan and, and Dean and Richarlison absolutely ready to go, but the fact that it's been the, the only downside, and I think what you wrote in your piece yesterday after it was, is about the supporters not being able to go. But you know, we're all Evertonians here, and we all know Evertonians would would those two thousand people swap going the game to get three points behind closed doors in January or February when we're pushing for the for the title or <laughs> for the Champions League place? Of, of course, they would. So. Um, I think it's, it's just difficult and uh, to be honest I, I feel sorry for, for everyone involved you know if, if Everton generally wanted if, if Carlo and, and the lads were buzzing for that game last night then that's tough you know obviously anyone who had a ticket was you know and, and probably as well people at four o'clock were probably booked in at the pub or you know if you're travelling a long way might have set off which is the, the desperately disappointing side but I, I generally think it, it can only benefit Everton to, to, to play them when we have a, a full strength team and I, and I don't think City will be up for that when they come back, and I just think that what is, what is the point in, in in risking it? You know what I mean? If if they did end up cobbling a team together and sent it, and then one lad add in and spread it, you know what I mean? And, and it goes to our team, then it, it's just absolutely not worth it at this point. So as disappointing as it was, I, I think that we have the upper hand on City now, and you know it, it, it's meant that our December has been not even a success. Is it? It's one of the best months of being an Evertonian. I can remember in in, in the last few years. So 
it's, it's all good from my hands. It's all good. <laughs> Gavin Bolton signing out. Gavin is never, ever that positive, by the way. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's just the suspicion that, that City have had the game called off because they've got, you know, so two or three first-team players suffering from COVID and it affects the quality of the team that they can put on the onto the pitch rather than you know the uh, the, the possibility of, of spreading it's a mutual agreement then the isn't it? we're in the exact same position aren't we but it's, not mutual, but, but it's not mutual Everson were willing to play the game even though it was 46 hours since we've last played a match and we had five first choice players correctly you know out injured we had I, I would suggest more right to ask the Premier League to postpone the game, given those circumstances. And we've been here before. You know, we had that game where we had to go to Tottenham, was it, in a League Cup tie, 48 hours after we played Bolton on a Sunday. And David Moyes requested a postponement. And, uh, you know, the, the powers that be said, no, I'm sorry, you've got to fulfil the fixture. Surprise, surprise, we lost 2-0. Same situation now. You know, I think we had more right to call for this game to be postponed, given our circumstances, than City did. Uh, which is why they've asked for full disclosure. Saying, "Well, really, you've got that bad a case of COVID in the camp? Well, can we know exactly which players are affected?" And yeah. I suspect we'll never find out. Uh, you know, or, you know, we'll never actually see the paperwork that underlines which players are being missing. But yeah, I totally agree with you that it probably does affect, does us a favour. Which I said at the outset, it was just a suspicion that it suited City uh, far more. I, I like that Everton came out publicly already and said we are going to ask the Premier League for answers. I, I kind of yeah. like that side of us. Yeah, and I also totally. think that. You know, where you might say Everton, of course, were willing to play the fixture because, you know, good on Carlo. He hasn't really, I can't remember, he might have, but I can't remember a time when he's, he's moaned about the injuries or used the injuries as, a, as an excuse. He hasn't done that. But for me, when he got told by, you know, Denise or Marcelo, whoever's told him this game's off yesterday, that I reckon Carlo might have just cracked open a nice bottle of Italian wine <laughs> and thought that this, this ultimately, you know, willing to play the fixer is different to maybe thinking hang on we've, we've got a chance to, to beat easier tonight which which could be the case so it, it is I, I, I think we've pretty much summed it up between us it is, it is disappointing slightly how it happened but I think Everton will be the happier of the two and, and, and did you say we've only got is it one Premier League game between now and January the 12th yeah and is that with the FA Cup game before yeah. that yeah the FA Cup game's on the night so that, that, that's just absolutely you know Carlo was always going to rotate I think for that Rotherham game anyway so you know, middle of January when other teams might be feeling the pinch a little bit, you'd like to think that we're going to be fired, excuse me, fired on all cylinders. Allen could potentially be around the return, Jabaman and Dean at the end of the month as well. So I think support to the side, it's, it's, it's worked out all right. Mm. I think, Connor, though, to use the typical Phil Kiffrad phrase and play devil's advocate, does this actually benefit Man City? Because we're now going to have to reschedule this game. Who knows when we're going to be able to reschedule it for? Because they've already got a game from the start of the season that they still need to play. If they progress in the League Cup, then they're going to have a, a, another fixture that we're going to need to fit in, along with Champions League fixtures that they're still in. They'll be in the FA Cup as well, depending on how well they progress in that. They'll have more fixtures. It could get to the scenario where Man City have to play, let's say, a, a Saturday, Tuesday, Friday, Monday essentially, to try and fit this game in. So, in the long run, does this actually benefit Man City at all? No, I, I don't think it does in the long run. I think it does in, in the short term in terms of they probably not fancy coming to Goodison last night with a bit of a weakened team, you know, undercooked, facing an Everton side that's, you know, got real momentum behind them. Because since themselves have had a stop-start season, haven't they? They've not really found momentum. I know they had a, a good win against Newcastle on Boxing Day, but they've been quite stop-start this season and quite not really looked the, the same as that we've seen in the last couple of years. So, I think in the short term, they probably thought, well, 
you know, we're not going to go just and kind of up against it. Um, it you know, just give them a bit of time to get the likes of Jesus and, and Carl Walker, you know, we've tested positive for COVID back. But I think long term it could it could it could shoot them in the foot because like you say there, where are they going to play the game and how you know where where are they going to put the fixture in? And it'll be interesting what the Premier League do you know because you know they were uh, quite keen as well to start season that fixtures outstanding fixtures got put in quite quick in order for the competition to be you know remain quite a level playing field in terms of you no know, not not too many clubs got cut short in terms of postponed games etc. So it'll be interesting now where how they look to get the fixture and where they look to get the fixture in because. You know, ideally, you, you probably want to play before the end of January. Um, if you're the Premier League, in terms of make sure that everyone kind of stays on a, an even playing field in terms of the number of games that they played. So, I think short term they, they probably benefited by the game not being on, but no, definitely long term. You know, who knows when it's going to be played now? And hopefully, you know, by the time it does come round, they will be in the midst of you know Champions League, Carabao Cup games, and, and you know it'll be it'll be a tough test for them to come to Goodison on the back of a, a strong a strong run of games. Mm. And Preno, obviously, you know, a lot of fans have mentioned how uh, how good it will be for the players to have a little bit of a rest before that West Ham game. But if you were one of the players who was in the squad, you know, you probably would have been right in the middle of your pre-match preparations. You could have been having your pre-match meal, probably all together in the hotel, getting ready for this game. How would you have felt knowing, you know, four hours before kickoff, you're not going to be stepping out onto that pitch? Yeah, I was thinking about this before when I was uh, in the car because obviously Everton consume all my waking thoughts. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I was just thinking that the, uh, the the real losers in this situation are the likes of Bernard, um, you know, so Cenk Tosin, Jared Branthwaite, you know, so players that probably would have got some kind of run out in that match because uh, literally 46 hours after we've just had a really tough, hard-fought game against Sheffield United, we're facing another team that keeps the ball really, really well and makes you run. So, you know, you would have seen changes galore and you would have seen players given an opportunity to show to Carlo, you know, sort of what they're capable of doing. And you'd imagine they'd be prepared. Like you said, they've had the pre-match mail, they're focused mentally and just that letdown to know that, well, West Ham on New Year's Day, you know, that's a proper period of time now to prepare for that game. Carlo's almost certainly going to go to a similar team that started against Sheffield United, in other words, his first choice starting lineup. And the only real opportunity those players are probably going to get now is likely to be against Rotherham, you know, so in the FA Cup. So, yeah, they're going to feel frustrated, you know, so deeply so. Um, but that's just the nature of the beast, unfortunately. You know, there's not a great deal you can do about it. You just got to make sure that you're up and ready. But, you know, so when Carlo does give you the nod this time against Rodham, you're going to take your chance again. But yeah, I thought that there's a number of players there that are going to be quite frustrated and, you know, so really, really disappointed that game, you know, so it hasn't been played. Sam, mm. I think Premier raises a good point about Bernard then in particular. You know, he came off the bench against Sheffield United and looked really good for the 40 or so minutes that he got in that game. Uh, Richarlison would have been out for this Man City game, so yeah. you'd expect that Bernard probably would have started this one. It would have been a real chance for him in front of the crowd at Goodison, wouldn't it? But you know, by the time the, this West Ham game comes around, Richarlison's going to be back and he's going to start, isn't he? Yeah, well, I think uh, both of them. The player mentioned, I think Cheng Tosin, for the last twelve months must have like kicked a black hat on a Weezy board when he's on Indian gravestone or something like that. Like you know, his big chance probably been. In the house with his kit on, everything. I can't <laughs> wait to play tonight. <laughs> Seeing the announcement, so obviously tough, tough on Chen, uh, and obviously with his injury, you know whatever you think about Chen Tosin, uh, if he would have been given an opportunity, then it's difficult for him. But Bernard, I thought it was a ruthless change from Carlo Ancelotti, wasn't it? Uh, and he and he done it against Manchester United with Andre Gomez as well, so there was a precedent for it. But 
Uh, Anthony, I don't even think Anthony Gordon had a bad game, has he? Mm. he? I think it was just a, a difficult night and difficult conditions and a lot of our play went down the right instead of the left. Um, but it was an inspired change in the end because I don't think there's many players in the team who've got that football brain to, to do that little touch that Bernard did to Decore and, and execute it the way he did. So I was quite excited to, to see what Bernard could offer because... Can anyone remember the last time he influenced the game starting it? And, and that's difficult, isn't it? To be fair, against Manchester United when he scored. Well, yeah, 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 probably, yeah, probably, probably yeah. And, then, and, then, the and then disappeared yeah. from the start of 11 again. And he's, he's kind of it's, it's changed a lot for Bernard, hasn't it? From when he first signed and people were like, he's great. And, and he did have a good little burst of form when he first kind of got to full fitness under Marco Silva. But now, probably if you kind of polled Everton fans on, you know, if a reasonable bid came in for him. I think some people might just say, make a profit. He was a free agent, wasn't he? Which, you know, the club would do if they decide to take that action. But there's definitely a player there, which which we've seen. So, I don't know. I, I still think he'll get his chance, Roney, and there's going to be FA Cup matches, which hopefully we progress in, and, and I'm sure he'll be a player those. But I think out of all the Everton players, the moment Bernard probably is the most interesting one to kind of gauge his situation, isn't it? And where he kind of stands in the thinking of Ancelotti. I mean, you know, a full Brazilian international probably won't have been too happy to, to see a, you know, a, a teenage lad stand ahead of him in that Sheffield United game when, you know, he came on against United and stuff. But, yeah, difficult for him, difficult for Cenk Tosin, difficult for anyone who maybe, you know, Ancelotti had put their arm round in, in the week and after the Sheffield United game and said, look, you're, you're playing uh, on Boxing Day to, to not then, sorry, not Boxing Day, 28th, uh, to, to, to not get that chance. But, well, it's a long season, isn't it? There's, there's a lot of football to be played. They will all get more chances again. And I think uh, definitely with Bernard, I think him and Andre Gomez both showed when they came on. I think that they had a little bit of a point to prove. I thought that was the best I've seen Gomez in a while, even if it was just for 20 minutes or so that he was on the pitch. And it was the same for Bernard. He looked lively. He had that lovely touch for the goal, which which was I was taken aback by. Um so hopefully we, we see that now. The, you know, if if you want to stay at this Everton team playing under Carlo Ancelotti, you know you've got to start pulling your fingers out and affecting matches, and hopefully that's what they'll start to do. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo does bring us neatly onto that Boxing Day game, Preno. One uh, 0 win over Sheffield United. It was a bit of a frustrating game at times, but it was one where Everton just ground out the victory and that's that was the real important thing at the end of the day wasn't it well regular listeners to the royal blue podcast will know that's exactly what i predicted and as you know i always <laughs> like, <laughs> like to say if i was on the podcast i would have also predicted a one nil yeah well you know so great minds think alike and all that yeah. no nah, it was it was a very very important win that that was the most you know significant factor having you know had the experience with it against manchester united uh, it was a game that in the League Cup, it was a game that we needed to win just to, you know, restore a little bit of momentum. And it was a game that we'd be expected to win because of Sheffield United's results this season. But they're not as bad as their results portray. I've said that quite a lot of times. I mean, they struggle to score, um, you know, so that that's their big problem. But they work relentlessly. They put a real shift in for their manager every single game and they make life very, very difficult. I think they've got this mad record of, um, like, what have they lost this season? Is it like, you know, so 13 or 15 games, something like that. And like 75% of them have been by one goal. Um, you know, they've been so unfortunate in a number of matches. I mean, they gave Manchester City a really, really tough game at Bramall Lane. So it was going to be a, a you know, really tough evening for us, but a game that we really needed to win. 
So we did because we were organized because we were defensively you know, uh, resilient and we had that little touch of magic when it mattered most. And as you already mentioned, I mean, the build-up to that goal was so good. Uh, the touch from Bernard, the layout from Decore uh, and Sigurdsson. He made what was a difficult chance look easy just with a, a great touch and a great finish. So that's what you want from players like that. And that's why we spent such a lot of money on Gilfie Sigurdsson you know, so all those years ago. So it was massively important that we got those three points and we did. As we've already said, you know, the game being postponed last night means that, you know, maybe that's a blessing in disguise. We've got a proper period now to build for what is another very, very tough game on New Year's Day. But momentum's back again now. And, uh, you know, so we are in the top four where, we, where we'd like to be. Whether we stay there, who knows? Uh, but I just think that was a massively important result. Uh, performance wasn't great. OK, but, you know, it was always going to be a tough game. But the result was all uh, and, and we did it on the night. So, yeah, you know, so celebrations all around. I had a toast on Boxing Day, Boxing Night just to just to enjoy that moment. Mm-hmm. I think Connor on Gilfie Sigurdsson, you know, he's he's had a fair few critics over the last few months, but I'd say over the course of December he's really stepped up. Would you argue he's been arguably one of Everton's most improved players over the last month? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's kind of he's he's become that kind of leader, that senior figure that people hoped he would he would be when he first joined the club. I think you know you look at you know we've had injury problems and we, we've lost a lot of key players this month. But he's he's stepped up to the mark and he's really shown you know his class. Whether it be you know when playing in the the number six role or the you know the eight role or the ten role, he's he's performed you know to, to the levels that we hoped he would be performing for when he first joined the club. And and now he seems to be showing that little bit of composure. Uh, you know I think the the difference as well in terms of you know you look at that finish on Boxing Day compared to the one at Burnley. You know the the, the end of November was it where. You know, he basically has the goal as mercy, and he just fight the difference in his composure, the confidence that he must now have. It's clear for all to see, and and I think a lot of that comes from the manager because I think obviously you know the manager's put a bit of faith in him. He's trusted him. You know, he was captain of Everton. He was captain, wasn't he, on Boxing Night? He's put faith in him, and and, and now Carlos reaping the rewards that because he's really stepped up to the mark, and you know, probably probably say it a little bit quietly, but he's now probably one of the first names on the team. She's as as things stand right now, this minute, given Everton's midfield problems and. You know, hopefully now he's set his benchmark and he's got to produce more like that on a regular basis and, and really become that senior, you know, authority figure in Everton's field. I feel like we say it a lot with Sigurdsson, but is he benefiting from actually playing in his natural position at the minute? It, it, it's just I really think about Sigurdsson yesterday and I think it is difficult, isn't it? Because he almost... I, I, I've given him a hard time myself, especially last season, but I do think that, you know, in his first season... You know, under two different managers, played the cross, you know, left mid, right mid, behind a striker, up front at one point in the Europa League by Dave Dunsworth. He, he was decent, wasn't he? He was no worse than any, anyone else, certainly. In the second season, under Marcus Silva, top scorer, joint with Richarlison. And this season, he, he, especially in the last few games, he's been good. I think he almost gets that kind of Ashley Williams brush of, he's just had one season that was so bad and so out of character that, you know, I think some people do struggle to forgive him for some of the performances he turned in last season, but the the more we're seeing now of him playing at kind of the, the, the point of that midfield three, it does look like last season was just a case of a man who has been used to playing in attack and midfield for so long with not many defensive responsibilities that when he was put back there, he's just been a bit, hang on, what's, what's going on here? And look, it's hard, isn't it? Because up until even 15 years ago, 10 years ago, if you could play centre mid, you could play holding mid, attacking mid. You know, it wasn't wasn't quite as niche the, the the roles that you ask to play as much. Sometimes, is it? You know, the way you have your Kante position and, and sixes and eights and 
and stuff that you know is is a lot more kind of modern terminology for Sigurdsson. But I think in the last four or five games, he's he started to ask a bit of a, a question of everything. Even the you know re- rewind six or seven weeks, and I think his contract's up at the end of next season, isn't it? So we're now heading into the final eighteen months of his contract, and I think some people probably would have been, you know, can we get rid of him in the summer? And, and ultimately, we we still might have to because of the wage he's on, dependent where they want to take the midfield. But he's now starting to say in the performances where you think, hang on, you know, he's he's playing really really well, and I think what impressed me against Sheffield United, he's so strong. And he's got such a good face touch, you know, when he gets on the ball, just so composed and stuff. And I, and I genuinely think he was he's brilliant against Sheffield United. So it'll be interesting. I think Ancelotti picked him out, didn't he? To, uh, and personally called him out as, as someone he thinks that could go on to be a, a, a good manager after his career, which is quite interesting. So Ancelotti obviously respects him enough to say that, respects him enough to, to give him the, the armband and Everton, as, as Connor pointed out. So uh, yeah, I think I think that was that was right. What Connor said, he, he set a benchmark for himself now, and he's he's got to carry that on because he does have competition. You know, Gomez looked good when he came on. What a performance from Tom Davies against Sheffield United. Chabamans coming back. Fabian Delph won't want to come back and sit on the bench. So there's loads of competition if he if he doesn't keep doing it. But right now, definitely one of the first names on the team sheet, and and he's changing opinions with that as well. It's just good to see his because I did think my main criticism last season was that. You know, he was playing an unfamiliar position, but sometimes just roll your sleeves up and get stuck in and have a go. And, and Evertonians will take that, even if they can see that you're struggling a little bit. And I don't think he's done that. But this season, he, he's just doing exactly what Carlo Ancelotti is asking of him. And he's doing it with a little bit of fire in his belly as well. Mm. I just mentioned Tom Davis there, Preno. I think, personally, that was probably his best Everton performance in a long time, I think. Uh, you know, without Alan in the team, we needed Tom Davis to kind of step up and put in that sort of performance, didn't we? I'm glad you jumped in there. If you hadn't, I was going to mention it myself anyway, because just saying that made me think that, hang on, we haven't really mentioned Tom Davis's performance yet at Sheffield United, and he was he was excellent. Um, I, I wouldn't say you know surprising, because we know, you know he's got that kind of quality in there, uh, but he just looked like a really mature performance in that you know, he wanted the ball all the time. He was driving forward with the ball. And I remember after 20 minutes just thinking, wow, you know, so he's made a great start here, you know, so let's hope that this can continue. And uh, it reminds me, was it, was it a Huddersfield uh, a season or two ago where, again, he had a really good performance. Uh, he actually created the winning goal for Richarlison uh, very early on in the game. Maybe it's that part of uh, South Yorkshire that he particularly enjoys. But no, just <laughs> uh, it, it was a really, really uh, good performance from him. And, you know, I, I was delighted for the lad, you know, because he does get a lot of flack sometimes from the Everton fan base, sometimes unfairly, well, always unfairly. And that becomes, that that's largely because of, I don't know what it is, sometimes like the local lads uh, seem to get it harder and always have done historically than players who are brought in for a transfer fee. I don't really know why that is. It's like a bit of a mad quirk amongst Evertonians sometimes. But the local lads, you know, so tend to get it a bit harder. And then obviously, you know, so because of his, uh, his demeanour and his personality off the pitch, you know, so with his... Uh, Slightly, you know, so lively, you know, fashion sense and what have you. That tends to rub people up the wrong way as well. Uh, but, you know, we should really be judging him on what he does on a football pitch. And he looked great. He had a really, really good performance. And I hope he gets the opportunity to build on that now, you know, so over the next uh, next few games. Because, you know, signs finally that, you know, so yes, you know, so he's maturing and he's actually realising that potential that we all, you know, so know he has. OK, it's only one game. Let's not get too carried away. But, you know, so it's a very, very good start. So, yeah, I was delighted to see that performance from him and long may it continue. 
think talking about benchmarks, it's, it's a similar one for Davies, isn't it? He, he set it there. And what I like about it and uh, about that performance was that, you know, even when things didn't come off, when there was a few passes he tried that didn't come off five minutes later, he was back just dropping into that little pivot, wasn't he? And saying, yeah. give me the ball, give me the ball, and I'll go again. And, and we need to down like, and talk about the City game. It's probably, he's probably another one. I think he was quite disappointed that game didn't go ahead because, you know, it's one thing to do with against bottom of the league, Sheffield United. It, it would have been good to see him carry that on against Manchester City. And I think, you know, talking about City, I think that's one of the reasons why he probably does get such a hard time, isn't it? Because to, to score a goal like he did against City all those seasons ago, um, so early on in your Everton career, it obviously does set, set quite a high benchmark. And, you know, he'd probably be one of the first to admit that at times he hasn't quite reached that uh, for, for whatever reason. But, you know, the, the game against Sheffield United is a... It shows what he can do and shows that maybe if we do play him a little bit deeper and, and, and give him a bit of scope to to come short and get on the ball, that, you know, as Adam mentioned, he, he could really be the, the perfect replacement for Alan over the next, you know, four to six weeks or however long he's he's out the, the team for. But I think for him now it is just about finding that consistency and making sure those performances aren't every, you know, five or six games, but every, you know, doing that consistently every three or four weeks, you know, making sure that you stay on that level. Sam's absolutely right there about the expectation level. Um, you know, because he shone so brightly so very early on in his Everson career, that's set, you know, an unfairly high benchmark. And we've seen it before. I mean, you know, I talked about um, local players and, and John Ebrill, who now obviously is a mentor to the, the younger players at the football club. But he came through the FA's School of Excellence when that was a new thing, when it was, you know, uh, perceived as, you know, a vehicle to produce superstars of the future. And so people expected, you know, so far too, you know, so great things from John Ebel, who was a very, very good servant for Everton and a very good footballer. But again, he was unfairly criticised at times because he never quite lived up to the expectation. It's the same with Tom, you know, so when he uh, was his debut against Norwich on the final day of the season, when, um, you know, so everybody was like focusing on, help me out now, Kieran, the left-footed lad. Who, uh, exactly, Kieran Dow. Everybody thought that he was going to be the, the, the star of the future. And Tom Davis came in from left field and just like stole the show and then, you know, kicked on the following season. Obviously, that goal against Manchester City was the thing that everybody thought, wow, you know, what have we got on our hands here? Whilst losing sight of the fact that at the time he was like 18, you know, so a young kid who's still, you know, learning his, uh, his game. So, yeah, we need to just cut him a little bit of slack. But yeah, he's, uh, he performed really, really well. I hope he does get the opportunity to continue though. Mm. And Connor, there has long been a debate about what Tom Davis's best position is in, in the midfield and where he'd fit into the squad. You think that maybe that performance against Sheffield United proved that it should be, you know, that sitting role in front of the back four? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, there's, I think he's he's in in Tom Davis's defence. He's always been a little bit unlucky. I think he's been moved around, hasn't he? A little bit, you know, he's always been the fall guy who who kind of moves around and, and fills in for the team. But I think you no, know, there's no better way to prove to a manager that you should be playing in a particular position by getting in that position and, and you know producing a, a high class performance. That's what he's exactly did on Boxing Night and. I think now he's got you know that evidence to kind of back it up and say to Carl and Dossie, look, you know this is this is my best position. This is where I should be playing. You know this is where I, you'll get the most out of me. And I think you know it's always been suggested that that was his best position. But now, you know, we're finally seeing signs of Tom Davis actually having you no know, evidence on the pitch that it's, it's his best position. And you know, like the lads have said, now he's got a he's got a kind of you know kick on now and, and really cements his, his his place in the in the Everton side and give and ultimately give Carl and Dossie food for thought. Because I think you know we can all agree, you know, so far this year that 
the midfield when when everyone's fit kind of picks itself and it has picked itself. You know, Carlos made very few many changes there, but you know, with performances like that from Tom Davis will certainly give him something to think about. And certainly think you know possibly that he he might have a selection headache in that area of the pitch moving forward. Hmm. I suppose we've got to mention that defence again in that game against Sheffield United. No shots on target in the second half once again. You know, we're, we're just looking so resolute at the back these days, aren't we? I, I text uh, Phil, obviously Phil Capebride was at Sheffield United and, and on the final whistle, I, I just text him saying, how sexy is Jerry Mina? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, honestly, you know, you talk about sometimes players not looking themselves. I generally don't think the player that we had for the first, what was it, two seasons, is, is, the, same, is the same player. I just think at the moment his positioning, his distribution, everything about his game has just changed. I think... He, he had a few ups and downs this season. I think Ancelotti called him out himself, didn't he, after the West Brom? I was quite disappointed against Liverpool. There was that weak clearance, wasn't there, that, that let, obviously a great finish, but let Salah score and, and put them back ahead. But since then, he, he's just kicked on. And I, I always thought there was a bit of a, when Keane and Mina were named in the same, you know, back two or, or centre-back period, and it almost felt they were too samey, a bit too static, flat-footed, slow sometimes. But the two of them... I think on current form are one of the best centre-back pairings in the Premier League. I think Michael Keane right now sh- should easily be starting for England. I think he's been absolutely... Michael Keane just puts confidence in you now, doesn't he? Those first couple of seasons when he was there, and, 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 and a little bit like Mina, he'd make a mistake every few games, or you know, if he got turned early on, he'd look like everything was moving at a million miles an hour, but now he's just composed. And then, you know, Ben Godfrey already. You can't say this often about lads who played, what, 10 games, but already looking like a bargain at 20, 25 million. Uh, and Mason Holgate is just Mr. Dependable now. And, and I think Mason, probably out of the three of them, has gone under the radar the most, but he, he's a leader in this team. At, how old is he? 23, 24? Uh, absolutely superb. And, and, you know, you talk about pound-for-pound signings. Obviously, Calvert-Lewin would be up there. But again, you know, Mason Holgate for a million pounds. I think he was a David Moyes signing as well, wasn't he? You know, what a, what a part and gift that was. He's just turned out to be... I think Holgate's similar to Godfrey. I think you can play him right back, left back, centre back, centre mid, as he showed last season, and, and he'll and he'll be excellent. So, you know, you look at them four, Pickford Nelson's form starting to to come up a little bit as well. You've got Janet Brantway coming back into the team, Niels Nkunku, Luca Deans out injured, Seamus Coleman. This is the first time in probably my lifetime that I can remember Everton being so strong at the back. And it's just boss to see, isn't it? But Mina and Keane. Whether it's Ancelotti, whether it's just kind of getting to grips with Everton and the Premier League in England, in Mina's case, I, I don't know. But I just, I just absolutely love, love them two at the moment. I think they're the two of our best players. Mm. I know Seamus Coleman's fit now, club captain, starting right back. Does he get back into this team with Mason Holgate playing this one? Uh, no, and, uh, I, I genuinely think that we may have stumbled across uh, a long-term replacement um, for for Seamus Coleman, and uh, I'm thinking more about Ben Godfrey. Uh, because he's like been absolutely magnificent as an emergency left back. And I know he's a centre back and that's where he was signed for long term. But he has played, you know, emergency right back here for Norwich before and done very, very well there and told the manager he feels comfortable there. And just the way that he's matured and that he's flourished makes me think that he could be, you know, so an unexpected long term option uh, to replace Seamus Coleman, you know, so when we actually, you know, finally have to, uh, you know, sort of part ways uh, with Seamus. But at the moment, I mean, 
Sheamus has not quite got back into the, uh, the, the pace of the game yet. Uh, and Holgate just hasn't put a foot wrong. He's, he's been absolutely great. He's been so assured and so sensible. Very different uh, in terms of Sheamus in that you know, he doesn't offer the attacking thrust and penetration that, that Sheamus would ask or would offer. But he's better defensively. And that's what we're building on at the moment. You know, so we're building a platform by keeping clean sheets and by stopping... Um, Teams getting shots uh, certainly in the second half of matches, and we never thought we'd say that. Uh, you know, so prior to you know the Christmas period of games when we were conceding you know a couple of games, goals every game, and not having kept a clean sheet since the opening day. Uh, so you know, absolutely you know, sort of real salute to all those players. You know, so Mason Holgate especially, but you know, to echo what Sam said, yeah, it's, it's looking pretty good at the moment in terms of you know, so the defensive setup looks consistent. It looks solid. And uh, you've got like a little bit of reassurance in those in those players now as well. And if you're not conceding goals, you know the likelihood is you're not going to lose matches, and you've got a great greater opportunity of winning games. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a platform that you know we hope we can build on for the rest of the season. Mm. And Connor, this time last month, you'd have thought that we'd have all been loving Ben Godfrey bulldozing his way down <laughs> the left flank. He's just he's just incredible, isn't he? He's he's a physical specimen. He's great with his. Uh, with the ball at his feet, his his positioning's amazing. Like he, he, as Brennan says, he hasn't really put a foot wrong, has he? No, he hasn't. And I think you know they, you can see now why the club wants to sign him so much in the summer. I think you know certainly yourself there was a few raised eyebrows when we kind of went in with that with the offer and and, and we were keen to sign him because everyone was kind of looking around to go. You know we've got good defensive options. Why why we look at another defender? But you can honestly now see why the club you know was so keen on signing him because. He looks an absolute talent, and he's getting better and better week by week. And um, you know, he's just took to took to Everton and playing for Everton like a duck to water, as Dean I pronounce it there. He's playing at left back, not even his natural position, and yet he's just you know striding up the pitch like like it's nothing. And I think you know, you look now, it's the, the back four going to well back what Sam was saying earlier for the first time I think in a long time. There's genuine competition there now, and I think you know even like you look at Luca Dima, Luca Dima injured. Everyone, everyone would have presumed, well, he'll just walk straight back into the team when he's back fit. Ben Goffey playing there right now, this means that's not, no, no, that's not a given no more. You know, that he might have to sit on the bench and, and watch Goffey play left back for a couple of games. And I think that's the big thing right now is that the, there is competition. And, and Carl's also shown as well, you look at his team selections this year, if they kind of do make a mistake or the performance is up to scratch, they get dropped. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not there. I mean, you look at Man United, a home Mason Holgate was brought straight back in. I think he was given the captain's armband. Didn't really have a, a great afternoon up against Marcus Rashford or, you know, by his own standards, he was quite poor. No, the next game, he wasn't even in the squad. So I think, you know, the, the, that, type, that type of competition keeps people on the toes. And I think, you know, Everton ultimately the benefit from having a bit of squad depth and, you know, a, a world-class manager who's putting people in the right positions and, and, and installing belief in them. Mm-hmm. Well, fingers crossed we can keep that defensive solidity going into the West Ham game on New Year's Day. Uh, we'll be back later in the week to discuss that game, of course, and hopefully be talking about another Everton win to kick off 2021 in the right fashion. Uh, don't forget, you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from, and you can join in the conversation on Facebook and Twitter as well. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.